0: now for raising the bar greater rva's premier law talk radio show
1: good morning and welcome to raising the bar the law talk radio show this is attorney colin quinn of Locke and quinn and i'm going to just remind you that Uh, Raising the Bar is Greater RVA's Law Talk radio show, which is on every morning, Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. The show brings an exciting and varied array of legal topics to listeners throughout central Virginia and especially in the greater Richmond area. Um, On Wednesday morning, the one-hour show features true-life stories and cases, legal tips, and information from experts and specialists, including not just lawyers, um, but we have clients, doctors, social workers, mental health professionals, life care planners, um, economists, many more. Uh, different experts that uh, are involved in different aspects of the law. Of course, the law touches nearly every aspect of daily life, and this show brings both humorous and entertaining stories along with helpful tips, including tips on access to legal services, something that not everyone can afford. In fact, one of our shows was on access to justice, and by next week, we will have on the Raising the Bar Law Talk uh, radio webpage um, all of the available legal resources that are out there, either on a free pro bono basis or on a reduced fee type basis. Um, So that's going to be a really fabulous resource to have up on um, the website. And of course, um, if you're interested in any of the videos from the uh, Raising the Bar Law Talk radio show, and you're not not able to catch the show at a live or on the live feed, um, all of the videos are now being Uh, post it to both YouTube and to the Raising the Bar Law Talk radio show webpage. So um, next week, we're going to talk about domestic violence uh, resources, including legal resources. Um, And joining me will be be Linda Tessier of the uh, Richmond YWCA. So please join us next week for that show. But this week, um, today, we're going to talk about women's uh, injury issues and the Women's Injury Law Center um, and helping me out today is my paralegal Katie Obermiller who's been with me for over 10 years and she of course <laughs> was on last week's show with another seasoned paralegal from our, our firm Carol Hassett uh, talking about what do paralegals do and uh, so if you missed that show again you can find the uh, the video either on the Lock and Quinn uh, Facebook page or on the Raising the Bar a Law Talk Radio Show uh, website page. Um, please feel free to share our shows with your friends and to listen to shows that you've missed. So, Katie, good morning. Good morning. Um, this is going to be fun today because <laughs> you get to ask your boss questions, right? <laughs> Very fun. Yes. So, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, women's issues um, and issues that are unique to women um, and uh, maybe the Women's Entry Law Center.
2: Okay. Um, So, Colleen, when I first started with you um, 10 years ago, you had already formed the Women's Injury Law Center. So when did you form that and and why? That's a great question. (laughs) Um, The concept
1: began around 2003, and we actually launched the Women's Injury Law Center in 2004. And what I was seeing was I was seeing that, one, there were no uh, female attorneys out there that were kind of promoting themselves as available um, two uh, folks, two clients um, who had injuries, um, who might just want a, a female to handle the case for them. And so that evolved into the tagline that we have for the women's Injury Law Center, which is sometimes it takes a woman to understand. Um, now we're not trying to be sexist <laughs> with the tagline, but um, it's just in some instances, um, you know women can be a little bit more empathetic um, about certain things. And um, we also, uh, I came up with the concept of the Women's Injury Law Center because there are certain um, injuries that are unique to women, um, but there are also injuries that are unique to children and to men where they sometimes might want female representation. Um, and in fact, I had a case with a gentleman who it was a really, really bizarre case. Um, he actually was staying at an extended uh, s- stay hotel, and um, their sink kept clogging up. So he asked um, uh, the maintenance person to come unclog the sink. Well, this was a hotel where the maintenance person was also the receptionist. Was oh. you know pretty much did it, did yep. it all. And so the maintenance person just handed him uh, essentially a jug of a jug of. The equivalent of Drano, some some you know plumbing type oh. cleaner, and he went to clean the the my client went to clean the sink and he ended up um, uh, splashing this really caustic <gasps> substance this on acid him. Or yeah, the, yeah, exactly. Oh. And it actually splashed on his groin area and then on his arms. Well, he ended up having an allergic and a burning reaction to it. Ended up hospitalized. Um, and then the silvodine dressing they used at the hospital, he was allergic to that. So he ended up having something called Stephen Johnson syndrome, where he actually started inter- uh, burning internally. Oh, my God. Yeah. So they had a vacuum to MCV, and um, he es- essentially was burning from the inside out And um, he was in a coma for over a month, yeah. And so he eventually survived this, but wow, I ended up handling his case. And one of the things that he told me was that he um, felt so much more comfortable with a female attorney because due to this whole process, he had basically lost his sexual function. (gasps) Yeah, and so he he told me, he said, you know, that was something that he hadn't even— Shared with his his girlfriend. I mean, clearly she must have picked up on it, right? Know? Right. So, but you know, he was still recovering from all of these things. Um. So anyway, he said that that was something, and so I discovered um, from that case that there are certain right cases where uh, a guy actually might feel more comfortable talking to a, a woman about certain things. Um, and then of course uh, we also have had a lot of daycare cases, as you know. Yes. And um, I had another case where. the uh, the infant had um, been given a hot milk bottle. And the hot milk bottle um, basically scalded her face and everything, and she spit it up. Um, Yeah, and so anyway, she had third-degree, she had really bad burns all over her face and also over her chest area. And when the mom came in to interview me um, about the case, um, the first thing I said to the mom was, "Oh my gosh! I mean, her chest. I mean, that's your your tro- that's your trophy area, right, you know. I mean, that's right. where you hang all your necklaces and everything." And she looked at me and she said, "Oh my gosh, you get it as a woman, you get it." And so, you know, not not to diminish guy attorneys' abilities, um, but there are just some things that women can pick up on, right. you know, that um, guys don't necessarily pick up on the the trophy chest. You, you know, how you and I, as women, we 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 hang our necklaces there, right? I know. I know. know. Like a showcase, right? So not all guys wear (laughs) V-necks. Exactly. (laughs) Good good point. So um, the other thing you uh, you were gonna um, uh, you were asking me about is you know why I basically um, set up the Women's Injury Law Center um, was also because there are certain um, injury issues that are unique um, to women. Um, and so uh, we kind of touched on that when I did the show with Anne McDowell, um, Anne-, Anne McDonald, um, on brain injuries, okay. which was one of those areas.
2: So, what types of cases um, do those, does the Women's Injury Law Center handle?
1: Um, Well, as you well know, (laughs) (laughs) we cover cover civil recovery for sexual assault and harassment. Okay. Um, And, of course, that's a huge topic in the news today um, with all of the women starting to come forward about incidents of sexual assaults and harassment. Um, And then, of course, we cover salon and spa issues, um, botched medical procedures, um, the the botched boob jobs, and Mm -hmm. much, much more. Um, And then, of course— you know, women are more uniquely affected by having so many responsibilities as caretakers and then having a more emotional side to them. Um, and then uh, women also were affected differently when they um, are injured and have scars and disfigurement, uh, kind of like the little girl with the, yeah. you know, the the trophy chest. But if a woman has a scar on her face or... or the, uh,
2: we had the, the lady um, who got burned, I think it was her chest area by... Um,
1: what was it, a curling... The falling, the curling iron. The curling iron. Yeah, the the salon she went to, they dropped the curling iron on her and it fell in her neck and chest area. Yes, that's right. Exactly, yeah. And, um... Also, uh, women that have um, scars on their hands and their legs, Um, you know, a a guy, it's kind of like a battle wound for a lot of guys, but for a a woman, she's just so much more um, sensitive about those things. And then, of course, we've had a lot of employment cases um, with the sexual harassment and different types of harassment and discrimination. So um, talking about how women are affected a little bit differently um, when they are injured, joining us today is um, on the phone is going to be Jennifer Kane Kilgore, and she's an attorney editor for Injuris, um, Injuris, E-N-J-U-R-I-S, which I invite our listeners to uh, take a look at the Injuris uh, website. It's it's basically an online uh, magazine or blog, and I've been fortunate enough to uh, work with Injuris on a couple of articles that are unique to women's injury issues um, one of the articles uh, is uh, se- Sexual Assault Victims Can Seek Monetary Justice. And we're going to talk a- about that a little bit more later, Civil Recovery for okay. you know, Sexual Assaults. But then also another article is When Victims Prefer Female Personal Injury Lawyers and mm. Are They Available, which was um, another uh, interesting article that I did with InJuris. So you can find those articles on www.injuris.com slash blog. And um, there are a plethora of other um, articles. That's my $20 word for the day, plethora. <laughs> uh, yeah. There are a plethora of other articles on that, that website as well. So, um, Jennifer, are you there? Yes, I am. Good morning. Good morning. Um, welcome to Raising the Bar, the Law Talk Radio Show. We're so happy to have you on the show today. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So I know, uh, Jennifer, um, not just in working with injurists as an attorney editor and and working on a lot of the articles, including the two that I just mentioned, I know that um, you actually have had a personal experience with uh, going through um, injuries and then as a woman, um, and in fact, as a a female attorney even, having to uh, navigate uh, the legal aspects. So can you tell us a little bit about your story?
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. When I was 17, I was on my way to visit, uh, Georgetown University. We were college searching and we were rear-ended in, uh, on I-95 at 65 miles per hour. And, uh, I ended up breaking my spine in four places and, and, um, that led to my first, um, Uh, car accident case. And uh, that was a seven-year litigation uh, in in New Jersey. And I'm from Massachusetts and the driver was from Florida. So uh, that was a (gasps) very long protracted litigation. And then the same thing happened nine years later. Oh my. Uh, Yeah. And that ended up uh, causing me to leave. I had a I had a. I was working as an attorney. At, by that time, I was an estate planning attorney, and um, that caused me to leave the workforce entirely. And now I work from home and uh, I work remotely for Endurance, and which I love. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's 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 nice to be able to work from home. It's interesting that first case lasted seven years. Wow. I mean, in Virginia, we have a statute of limitations at t- two years, so our cases tend to move a little bit faster, but in other states, um, they'll have longer statutes of limitation or you know, since you were ascended, um, how old were you with that first accident? You were? I was 17. 17. Yeah. So there, there usually would be, um, another year at it for you until right. you turned uh, age of majority, um, age 18. Um, so tell us a little bit more about, um, now you're working from home as a result of, um, these the, both of these accidents. Tell us a little bit
0: more about how these injuries have affected you. Well, uh, so I ended up getting two spinal fusions, and looking at me, you can't really tell. I, um, I present really well, but I still have a lot of physical limitations, and uh, every level of my spine pretty much has some kind of issue. Wow. So I have to I have to take it easy most days mm-hmm. I bet and, and oh, I'm
1: sorry, go ahead no, you're fine as so as a as a as a woman um how how did dealing with those injuries differ, do you think than um a guy going through
0: some of the same issues? it was very it was definitely a very male dominated process which at the time, I thought it was just the norm, and I I still didn't like, and I still very much noticed, and during the second accident, I I was fortunate enough to have one of my very good friends as a paralegal, and she was the one who actually handled most of the process, and she was very, very tender, and... And just kind. And it was, it was something that was just so noticeably different than the first time around. And, you know, I was so young the first time. And I was in this state that I was not familiar with. And it was this multi-state litigation. I had no idea what was going on. And, you know, you're, you're going through all these independent medical exams. You are not familiar with the process. You're this young 17-year-old kid, and you have literally no idea what's happening, and you just want somebody to tell you what's happening. And when you're going through a, like with all those medical exams, it, it would help to have some female representation, I think, and I did not have that. It was entirely, entirely male. You're and having a- I really...
1: Having a good hand holder, somebody that's empathetic, um, is is really critical. And and just um, so that our listeners understand, those independent medical exams that you described, um, those actually are um, typically are defense medical exams. A lot of them, um, where the defense is basically scrutinizing whether you're actually injured or not. Were those some of the exams that you underwent? Yes, and I had a host of them. Yeah, and now nowadays, um, we those of us in the personal injury field, um, we really, really advocate for ensuring uh, more protections during those exams, including having somebody with you in the exams or having the exams videotaped, um, because having somebody there with you um, as a hand holder, essentially, and kind of, you know, you understand what it's like to kind of go through those exams and be scrutinized. Um, Having somebody there just as a companion can make a big difference, Um, but also um, by having the companion, uh, a a third party, or having it videotaped, um, it helps for us to have a more truthful view of what actually happened during the exam, Um, because I'm I'm assuming that um, these exams that you did, especially some time ago, were... Uh, we personal injury lawyers were not as vigilant <laughs> about making sure we protected our, our clients in these exams. I'm assuming you were probably in them um, with no advocate or any uh, third party there. Correct. Yeah. Um, I mean, my mom
0: was there. But.
1: <laughs> so well, that's, having your mom there, that's a very good thing. So um, and so that was back when you were 17. Um, so let me just clarify. So the, the paralegal that was your friend, was that in the first accident or was that in the second accident? That was the second accident okay, so you you went through the first accident without having um, at least a legal advocate um, that was that was female that was of the handholder empathetic variety, um, but at least in the second accident, you had your your paralegal girlfriend who um, helped you. That was a better experience, I take it.
0: oh my gosh, it made all the difference in the world,
1: and in that second um, accident, um, basically tell us a little bit more about. Um, the process in in that case, were you also subject
0: to a lot of the defense medical exams in that case as well? Yeah, and by that time, you know, I'd gone through law school and I and I knew the process. And they they tried they tried to run me through the ringer. <laughs>
1: but you were you were a little wiser the second time around, I've, and also having gone to law school, I take it.
0: Oh yes, <laughs> so so I I knew what was up by that point and between that and between having my friend as the paralegal I it was it was a lot easier and a lot faster and I I just I I was on my toes a lot more than the first time
1: um, that is an extremely bad break to have gotten um, involved in two uh, bad accidents mm-hmm. um, and now have the injuries that you have. Um, what are the, the lifelong repercussions of those injuries and how does that affect you in your caretaking abilities um, and basically how does it affect you generally?
0: I am. Uh, I have a fusion from C4 through C6. So that's pretty much locked in place. I have um, permanent injuries, T11 through L1, so we're just talking spine now. and Right, um, and when, and just for
1: our listeners, because yeah. you, you've got that medical jargon <laughs> down, uh, Jennifer. Yeah, I apologize. Um, so, <laughs> so basically, <laughs> when we're talking the, the L parts, um, we're talking about the lumbar parts, and when we're talking about the T parts, we're talking about the thoracic yeah. part, which is like the middle mid, back. Exactly. <laughs> and when we're talking about the C parts, we're talking about cervical, which would be up in the neck, neck. area. Yes. Uh,
0: top, middle, bottom. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pretty much the whole <laughs> spine. Every- yeah. Every part that could be messed up is messed up, so um, it it means I can't lift boxes, I can't wear high heels i can't uh i I can't really do much without people helping me. Wow.
1: Well, you know, that's another interesting thing. That Can't I wear think, high heels. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Um, that's that's some, another unique uh-huh. issue unique to women is when they are injured, one of the first things that goes are the high heels. And we females really love our high heels <laughs> sometimes, um, but when you have any sort of, of injury, you typically you're, you're now down wearing flats and that's not nearly as sexy, um, being in the flats It seems shoes. like a
0: small, yeah, it seems like a small thing. It seems like really insignificant, but it's, I really miss them. Well, and I think it's, it's something that
2: when you can wear heels, we take for granted. I I, yeah. I wouldn't even think about that having that, not being able to wear high heels. Right. The other thing is, like, hooking your bra.
1: Um, I, I know my clients with, sh- with mm-hmm. shoulder and back injuries, you know, just something small like being able to ho- Or hook blow
2: dry your hair. Right, right. Yeah, or, absolutely. Or put on mascara, yep. just, um, yeah.
1: you know, the shoulder injury ones especially or, or even back injuries, just trying to apply makeup. Um, and then the little detailed things like putting in pierced earrings and uh, looping a necklace, is a lot of those uh Small, minute things suddenly
0: become uh, uh, more apparent. No, when I got my um, when I got my second fusion, I shaved my head so I wouldn't have to deal with my hair. Wow, that is pretty big. Yeah, um, but that is yeah, dealing <laughs> hair
1: and all of that using a curling iron that just goes out the window. Well, I, that's probably a pretty smart idea is just to shave your head all together and not have to fuss with it.
0: Well, I figured I wasn't seeing anybody for three months, so be a pic- it would be a pixie by the time I saw
1: anybody. <laughs> no dating while you're um, in a body cast, right? <laughs> Not going to happen. Exactly. So, um, Jennifer, we are going to be going on break here shortly. Um, is there? We've got about one minute to break. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners about your experience, um, and especially... Uh, surviving both of those accidents and going through the legal process as a woman?
0: Just that, um, just that there are, I just wanted to note that there are so many women in law school and that women need to be more present in the profession. And I've just noticed in all the articles that we've written on Enduris that women are trying to be more present in the profession and they're just not, they're not that there.
1: Jennifer, we're going to pick up on that as soon as we come back from the break. This is Raising the Bar, the Law Talk radio show, and stay on that topic. We're talking about women's injury issues and the availability of female attorneys in the profession. Thank you.
0: Thank you. You've been listening to Raising the Bar, Greater Richmond's premier law talk radio show.
1: morning. Welcome back. This is attorney Colleen Quinn of Lock and Quinn, and we are here this morning on Raising the Bar, the Law Talk radio show. Uh, this morning's topic is talking about the Women's Injury Law Center and certain injury issues that are unique to women. And just before the uh, the break, uh, I was talking to Jennifer Kilgore, who is the um, attorney articles editor for Um, InJuris uh, online magazine, which can be found at www.injuris.com. One of the articles that I uh, worked on for the magazine is when victims prefer female personal injury lawyers, and are they available? So just before the break, um, we were were talking to Jennifer um, about the the fact that there are not a lot of female personal injury lawyers or lawyers, um, out there going into this field, being advocates, yet there are so many women right now coming through law school. So, um, Jennifer, since we had to cut quickly to the break, um, if you just want to finish, uh, your, your comments on the, when you were working on this article and when Injuris was working on this article, um, some of the difficulty of, of finding those female lawyers out there.
0: Sure. Yeah. Um, this past year we noticed that the, it was the first year that more women were applying to law schools than men and it was it was the first year that that had actually ever happened and yet you know you get to the fortune 500 companies the fortune 1000 companies and you're you're still seeing that women are vastly underrepresented and we just need to see more women making partner and more women becoming associates and more women getting these jobs and you know they're they're absolutely qualified. It's just this, you know, this old
1: boys club. Well, we're we'll just you're going to have to see more women step up to the plate. the The reality is 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 that um, because women are the ones that biologically can have the kids, is that a lot of women step off um, for the mommy track, and and that's not something that can readily be fixed unless we um, start having some guys um, being able, like maybe Arnold Schwarzenegger, being able to, to, to carry the kids for us. So, um, um, But it is, it is encouraging to see more and more uh, women applying to law school. And hopefully uh, five years from now when Injuris writes another article uh, looking for the number of uh, female personal injury lawyers that are out there, they'll, they'll find a, a lot more um, besides uh, myself. So, um, Jennifer, we really enjoyed having you on the show this morning. Thank you so much for calling in. Thank you so much for having me. Great. So, um, Katie, we're going to move along the same kind of spectrum um, in terms of uh, certain ways in which women are affected.
2: Sure. Um, what about uh, – you talked about handling salon and spa injuries. Right, and so then maybe, you mentioned the curling iron. Yeah, yeah, but w- I know we've, we've handled others, and I know you handled others be- before I came, so – you want to give some examples of those? Well, the, the biggest one, and, and
1: you've seen this one, and, and I've had cases before you came on board, and then we've had cases since, and and that and that is when a woman goes in, and she gets the wrong, um, and typically she'll go in for either a coloring or highlight type procedure right. or, or a perm, you know, to get a, a and most recently, a, the, the gal that came in that had the spiral perm that she wanted mm-hmm. done. Right. So that she could look like uh, Julie Dreyfus Lewis, yeah, <laughs> and um. And um, anyway, it's we're laughing, but it's actually kind of sad because um, in all of these cases, the whatever the chemicals that were applied literally burnt off the woman's hair. Um, In some instances, I had one case where her hair was completely burnt off, and when she had this luxurious, long, silky, um, straight, brown hair, um, and what came back was um, just these little wispy, kind of Dr. Zeus tufts that kind of popped up all over her head. Um, And so I'm constantly preaching about when you go to a hair salon or any salon, uh, making sure that you have a truly qualified, um, I guess, uh, hairstylist and that you ask them for all of their licensing and certifications and know that they're experienced. My own hairstylist was absolutely appalled when when I shared these stories and actually was able to describe for me in a little
2: more detail what probably went wrong in the chemical well you, i i had a hair instance when i was in college a lot of my hair got some chemicals in it a lot of it got burned off i had to cut it really short i mean while you don't think okay hair getting burned as a quote-unquote personal injury but right. it, it is i mean it was it was awful yeah and you've got <gasps>
1: wonderful long I mean, blonde hair i mean you know I, and then to have to go to this
2: like complete, it's, it's like awful. kind of
1: pixie cut. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, you <laughs> or, know, or you're, actually a military cut almost. Yeah, yeah,
2: it was just awful. Yeah, and um, I mean, I you know that at least in my case, I know I knew it would grow back and and get long again, but just when you realize what happened, right? And then having to deal with the fact that, and I think we've had a couple clients had that had to do the same thing, get their hair basically. Yeah, it's chopped off the military complete buzz cut. Yeah. I mean you don't want to go you don't want to go outside, you don't want to be seen in public, you're embarrassed. Right. Right. So um and the other thing are some of the um spas, being really
1: right. careful about the spas because we did have the the client who went in to get a little tummy fat dissolved from her side so that she would look uh nice in her um long gowns at the homestead or her party dresses. Mm-hmm. Um and for on, her,
2: I think it was our high school reunion. Yeah,
1: yeah. And um she actually because of um the way in which the um the different needles and syringes were used. She ended up contracting hepatitis c. um, and it was it was really um a bad thing because the treatment at that time for hep C yeah. um, actually gave you the same symptoms as being depressed, and she had some prior history of depression, so she actually went in a complete downward spiral, became suicidal,
2: lost her job, um, and so it just kind of spiraled from... And she she couldn't continue the, the treatments to, to cure the hep C at that point. Right. Right. Um, and so, basically, because she had become suicidal, yes, yes. actually,
1: to the point of being hospitalized. Right, right. Um, and all because she had gone to a spa to get a little tummy fat, you know, dissolved. Right. Um, and so, I'm just constantly saying, be careful, look out for any salon or spa that you're going to uh, and make sure that they are credentialed. And the spas, actually, are supposed to be um, closely monitored by a medical doctor, Yeah, you know. Um So you're right, we've had... Just because
2: they say they have a medical doctor on staff (laughs) doesn't mean that they're always monitored. Good point,
1: good point. Um, Actually meeting that doctor and knowing that they're there is is another uh, good thing. So um, along the same lines, uh, we uh, had mentioned the scars and disfigurement and how women are affected somewhat differently. We talked some about that, but... um, just to kind of drive home the comparison, I had a male client who was hit while he was on his motorcycle, and he broke his clavicle, so his shoulder was slightly raised. Okay. Okay? And and he was pretty self-conscious about it, but I had to kind of explain to him that that type of injury on a woman, believe it or not, was worth more than on him as a guy. Um, and it's, it's unfair. It really is kind of unfair, but, you know, the, the raised... Kind of the bump in the shoulder, the raised clavicle, on a on a guy, like I said before, it's kind of more of a battle w- wound. Um, whereas uh, with the with a female, especially um, uh, because women will wear their you know their spaghetti strap yeah. party glass dresses, et cetera, um, it actually is worth more um, because a woman's generally more affected by the scars and disfigurement. Um, we also um, and we had the case where the lady got oh, her. Yeah. Yeah, her pinky chopped off. Right, remember um, in uh, in the enclosing one of those folding chairs, um, kind of the sleeper sofa chairs or whatever. And so, uh, again, having any sort of disfigurement on the fingers, especially when you have rings and nails that get painted, et cetera, um, that's another area we've noticed where women are definitely affected a little bit differently.
2: Um, so, what do you want to ask me about next? Oh, um, so what about civil recoveries um, for assaults? Or there was a case that we started working on when I came on board. Um, Lila's case. Yes. And Lila's
1: been very generous about letting us talk about her case. So um, that's a great question because there are always three components of any injury case. And those components are liability and then damages and then collection. And we always um, have to look at collection first um, because you can have legal liability, like um, somebody can be at fault, and you can have severe damages. But then you also have to look at and say, is there is there something to collect? And um, actually what happened in, in Lila's case, which was um, an extremely unfortunate case. And that case. was a
2: case where I think that she came to you because of the— women. The Women's Injury Law Center, or, and a, she was a, referred to you by a by, police officer who had seen you speak about the Women's Injury Law Center. Exactly, and also, what had happened to her? Exactly,
1: which was great that that police officer um, knew to send her my way. And so, what happened with poor Lila? Um, and she had a nursing degree from UVA, but she had gone out on disability because of uh, fibromyalgia mainly. Um, she was in her apartment uh, late at night and the maintenance worker let himself into the apartment it was around 11ish at night she was already in bed and the maintenance worker basically uh, he he raped her he robbed her he stabbed her and he wrapped her in duct tape he wrapped her um her bound her ankles and her wrists in duct tape and then wrapped her face and head in duct tape um essentially leaving her to suffocate and, and die um, because of the fibromyalgia and um, that she had been dealing with, she actually had um, engaged in a lot of yoga and meditation. And if you'll remember, um, just this uh, phenomenal story of her telling us how she remained calm and she was able to get a little pinky mm-hmm. up inside the duct tape near her mouth so that she was able to get a small breathing call. And she survived this incredibly horrendous um, experience. Um, so, uh, of of course, there was a claim against the maintenance worker who who caused all this injury, um, but uh, you know there was a, a criminal case, and of course he got I think two life sentences and was sent away. And but
2: he didn't have any assets himself, if if I be- if exactly I remember correctly. exactly.
1: I mean, he's off in prison right. with with you know not a uh, not a pot to pee in as as we sometimes right. say. <laughs> and um, so you know the the issue then becomes okay. who else might be liable um, that uh, we can collect from and so of course we then looked at the um, the uh, apartment complex and turned out they had hired the maintenance worker through a temp agency and then we just ended up discovering and with the help of the police officer actually that this guy had about a five um, page rap sheet you know that is a criminal record and uh, the temp agency had done a very loose three-year internet check. And then the apartment complex had this fancy key system that wasn't put into use. Um, the other thing I always preach to um, anybody, male or female, if you, uh, if you live in any sort of apartment complex or any um, rental unit, um, where the apartment complex will not let you put a deadbolt on the door, um, then you need to fight that because there's no reason why right. not to have a deadbolt on the door. Because in this case, um, Lila was told she couldn't have a deadbolt on the door, right. which would have been the, the last line of, of uh, resistance. Because
2: the maintenance worker had actually had her key with, on his person with him for about two weeks prior to That's to doing this. And if they... If she had her deadbolt, right. then he wouldn't have been able to right. get in. Or if they had actually used their their key safe system. Right. He wouldn't have had the would key. Have, someone would have been notified that the key was not returned. Right. And he'd had it that whole time. Great
1: memory there. So um, essentially, I've talked to you know emergency personnel and firefighters, and they say, you know, if, if somebody's inside and they have to get to them, they're going to break through that deadbolt and they're going to knock down that, that door. Right. Um, but if somebody's coming in to hurt you and they're going to knock down the door, well, then you're going to be forewarned, you know, somebody's coming in. Right. So, um, I I go around preaching to everybody, um, that there's just no reason why somebody shouldn't be able to have a, a deadbolt in that case. So going back to the, the coverage issue, we were able to get a recovery from, um, the, uh, basically the Tampa Agency's insurance company and also the apartment complex's insurance and and able to get uh, recovery for Lila. The really sad thing, though, about those types of cases is that she had to live through the entire criminal case. And then now we have the, the civil case, and now she has to live through... That case and us having to go line by line and piece by piece with her through that case and then her having to be subjected to a deposition and having to constantly relive that ordeal, um, which was really difficult for her. Um, but fortunately, we were able to get a recovery for her. Um, we were able to move her into a safe home with her security dog and with a lot of—a a great security yes. system in the house. And she was also able to get some of the therapies that sh- that she needed as well, um, including she was already working, I think, with Iraqi um, uh, orphan refugees yes. as part of her therapy, which a really remarkable person. So— um, that issue of kind of looking for the coverage that might be out there is really one of the biggest factors in trying to get any recovery in these cases.
2: What are, are there instances when s- say there's an assault or something like that happens, but there's no, there's no coverage.
1: Yeah. In fact, um you might recall you were involved in a case with me where the girlfriend and boyfriend were yes. living in the same house and um, he Came home one night um, under some the influence of something, um, were drugs, alcohol combination, and he um, there had been a history of domestic violence. And next week we're going to talk about um, domestic okay. violence in more detail um, with Linda Tisser of the YWCA. But in the, there had been a history of domestic violence, and of course he came home. She was getting ready for work early in the morning, right? And they got into some disagreement, and he he literally beat her. Almost to death. I mean, he he beat her, took her, dragged her downstairs, uh, slammed her head into right. the floor. I mean, really, really horrible. And remember, we tried to tap in the, to the homeowners in that case um, to get the homeowners' insurance coverage. And of course, homeowners policies um, exclude intentional acts. But as part of his defense, he tried to say he thought she was an intruder. Right. And so we thought, well, we might be able to show that since he thought it was an accidental act, of course, the degree to which he beat her made it very clear that he knew she wasn't an intruder. So the, the judge in that case said, no, um, I'm going to deny the homeowner's coverage covering that. But contrast that to the the Amtrak train case where we had the client who was assaulted on the train by the drunk and in that case, um, we tried to go against Amtrak initially, but we discovered that Amtrak had nothing to do with him being drunk. He actually oh. had brought a whole case of, <laughs> of beer with him onto the train. So at first, we thought maybe that the you know the club car had uh, right, had overserved. Served. Right. So we, and that's another whole issue is kind of the dram shop liability and looking into um, that. But so we first determined, and, and this was really interesting because he um, he basically fell into her and he he grabbed her and grabbed her breasts and grabbed her thighs. And we actually had photographs of his his, his, his the bruises where oh. his fingers were, yeah, on the breasts and the thighs. And uh, in that case, though, he claimed that the train had turned a bend and he was just trying to walk past her. <sighs> and so he accidentally <laughs> fell into her and that all of the grabbing and groveling right. was because he was trying to get off of her. And, in that case, his condominium owner's insurance actually provided coverage because it was believable enough that he had accidentally fallen into her wow, yeah, and had and had grabbed her, et cetera in the process uh, by the way, she had a taser on her oh. <laughs> so, so she she got him off she of her pretty pretty, yeah. pretty pretty fast um. But we were able to get a recovery in that case. But, you know, it's such a fine wow. line, though, that's, between that's those crazy. two cases, yeah. you know, in terms of trying to find that coverage. And then another interesting thing is if somebody is assaulted in an in automobile or in, or if somebody uses an automobile, let's say, for example, a door in an assault situation, we might be able in some insta- instances to tap into the auto insurance Coverage. Oh. So, looking for that pot of gold, so to speak, is, um, is the first thing we do in these cases because it's like you can have really bad liability, you can have really bad damages, but if, you, if there's nothing there to collect, then there's just no point in trying right. to, to take that, right. that case um, forward. Um, the other thing we run into is um, sometimes the statute of limitations, and I think we have maybe enough time to talk about that issue.
2: Oh, yes. Yeah. So we we get a lot of calls and I've been getting more recently about people who were abused or sexually molested, but it happened some time ago. Maybe they're, you know, when they were a child or in their teens. Um, so what is the statute of limitations in Virginia if someone is sexually abused? Yeah, so that's a great question, Um, because if they're over 18 and they
1: know about the abuse, it's two years. Um, if they're under 18 um, and they don't know about the abuse, so let's say it's a sexual molestation at the age of 10, the statute in Virginia is they actually have 20 years to discover that abuse through a therapist. So it's basically they have up to 20 years for a therapist um, or some sort of, you know, psychologist or medical Yeah. Uh, a, medical provider that specializes in mental health to tell them that they were the victim of abuse. Um so if somebody is um seeing a therapist and they're say uh, 35 years old and they were abused, you know, at age 15. Um, and that therapist says you realize you were the victim of sexual abuse when you were 15 and, and for whatever and 15 is a little bit harder to have somebody um not recognize it so right. so maybe tens a more logical age um so maybe they're, thir- they're um they're uh, 30 years old and the therapist says you realize that you were sexually abused at that point in time um then they're still within that 20 year Statute, oh, wow. yeah, that is great. So now, once they're informed, then they have two years, or they have the, the the twenty years. You have to kind of get into the weeds on the statute. But the the nice thing is is that we do have this statute for folks that are abused right. as a minor. Right now, um, the the bad side though <laughs> is we go back to the collection issue, and so now you've had all of this time go by. Who are you going to collect right. against? What if
2: what if the person is
1: is deceased? Right. Or... Right. If the abuser is is dead, then and the estate's already been distributed, then there's nothing to go yeah. after. Um, and if we look back and we say, oh, can we tap into any of the homeowners' coverage for any of the homes in which they lived? Um, well, now we're going to run issue into issues if even that insurance company still exists. Um, And trying to get a copy of the actual policy. Um, And then we get into the issues of was it intentional or not intentional? Is there still going to be an exclusion? So um, even though we've got the luxury of that 20 years now, it's still difficult when we start to look at what can we actually um, collect against. You know, we run into that same issue on um, the homeowners coverage in the – Domestic violence cases where um, the one of the spouses has been battered um, and abused, and in fact, we had the one case where the woman um, was raped by her husband after they had separated. Right. Um. And uh, the issue there was again that there was an exclusion for the homeowner's coverage, and so, um, but we were able to get a recovery in that case for the personal injury. Um, the actual rape. He ended up pushing her leg back and she ended up having, I don't know if you remember, she ended up having all sorts of hip problems, yes, et cetera. Yes. And so we were able to get a personal injury recovery. And then that we were able to work on to try to offset um, the divorce, equitable distribution and the divorce. Um, but those cases are still, still so hard. Um, but it's, it, it does still mean that If there is an issue of um, an assault or abuse in the marriage and the divorce attorneys are looking at that, then they're going to want to basically know that that personal injury claim is there and it's of some value, you know. It's good Um, to know. Yeah. So so that's out there. Um, So— we're probably going to need to do a second show <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> where we continue to talk about the Women's Injury Law Center and also a lot of the um, the issues that are unique um, uh, to women. Um, but one of the things that um, we did want to try to touch upon just a little bit today that, we, that you and I talked about when we did the Common Misconceptions About Employment Law show, and um, that is... Uh, Sexual harassment. Oh, on the job. Yeah, sexual, yeah. And that's because I touch a hot topic right, right now. Right. And so, uh, in terms of the sexual harassment on the job, uh, one of the things that comes up is the interaction with workers' comp. And we didn't cover that when we covered the right. employment loss show. Um, so, if somebody is injured on the job, there is an exclusion in the workers' comp statute that uh, victims of sexual assault um, do not have to bring that as a workers' compensation claim. Oh, yeah. Okay. So um, basically, the statute is Virginia Code 65.2 um, 301. And anybody who, in the course of employment, is sexually assaulted and reports that assault to law enforcement. Um, Basically, can be exempt from uh, that having to be a workers' compensation claim. So they could
2: bring a civil yeah, potentially. They
1: can, as they can bring a civil action, right? And it doesn't have to be um, workers' compensation as their exclusive remedy. And then, of course, always, you know, in, in that show we talked about Title Seven yes. sexual harassment. Yes. Um, and of course, as we finish up the today's show, um, I will tell my. S- story that I love to tell, especially because sexual harassment's in the news right. so much. I, I think that we have to talk about Llewellyn Connolly. Oh. Um, yeah, so my eleventh grade school teacher, um, Llewellyn Connolly, very southern, very matronly. Um, <gasps> she she said to us, uh, "Class, class, you must know it is harassment," and and now, now know that. Miss Connolly never ever said a cuss word <laughs> or anything of the sort ever. Like she was very prim and proper, etc. And so I just I have to share this story because I keep hearing harassment being used, and um, Llewellyn Connolly, I'm I'm sure is is just uh, rolling her eyes at that. And so Miss Connolly said, "Class, class, it is harassment. For one, never talks about harass." (laughs) And I got to tell you, that's just been, it's just basically stuck in my brain um, ever since 11th grade English um, was taught. And God love Llewellyn Connolly for for sticking that in my brain so that whenever I see these radio shows and TV shows now on sexual harassment, um, you know how it's supposed to be pronounced. Thank you so much for joining us today on Raising the Bar, the Law Talk radio show. Join us next week as we talk about domestic violence and legal resources Um, 9 a.m., December 13th. We'll see you then. Thanks.